0: Two questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? And the second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be And what keeps you from being all that? I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. Looking forward to kicking off a brand new series of discussions between Michael and Restoring the Soul's resident expert on the Enneagram, Kelly Gray. Today they begin a five-part series on how the Enneagram can strengthen your marriage or intimate relationship. If you've been living under a rock for the past few years, you'll have missed how popular the Enneagram has become. Now, the Enneagram isn't a new phenomenon. Depending on who you ask, its earliest iterations were either in the 1950s or the 1910s, though there are some experts who say versions of it can be found in the writings of 4th century Christian mystics, and there are some who trace its roots all the way back to ancient Egypt. But it is a phenomenon, and it has gained new popularity in recent years, particularly among Christian circles. Now this episode, listen closely as Michael and Kelly describe how you can become an expert in knowing your partner or spouse, how they're wired, what they think about, what do they do with their emotions, and understand what's difficult in their life. To become an expert in someone else means you need to know yourself first. All good marriage and relationship work has to begin with good individual work. I know you're going to learn a ton in this episode, and not going to want to miss any parts of this series of podcasts whose goal is to open up brand new pathways for intimacy and connectedness. And now here's your host, Michael John Cusick. Hey, everybody, and welcome
1: to the program. Today, I am in the studio with Kelly Gray, who is an intensive clinical soul care specialist, i.e intensive therapist at Restoring the Soul, and today we are talking about the Enneagram and marriage. We are doing a five-part series on five ways the Enneagram can strengthen your marriage or intimate relationship, and this episode is the first of five, and it's simply called Becoming an Expert on Your Partner. So, Kelly, welcome to the program.
2: Hey, thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm excited to be able to talk with you about this. You mm-hmm. have uh, trained and worked and counseled around the Enneagram for years and you speak around the country on the Enneagram and right now the Enneagram is kind of oh how shall I say it it's uh it's popular yeah and it's kind of the cool thing mm-hmm. that everybody is talking about, at least mm-hmm. in certain circles. Mm-hmm. So we're going to hopefully talk about it in a way where there's substance and yes. uh, specific yes. help for people. So mm-hmm. what are you hoping for in this conversation about the Enneagram and intimate relationships?
2: I am so hopeful to share with people that um, the Enneagram is this awesome door that is just this wealth of information about yourself and how you do relationships and a wealth of information about your partner and how they do relationships and I feel like it's 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 a freebie almost to study something that has such detailed information about how you and your partner go about handling problems and dealing with the pain of life and seeking out the joys of life it just feels like such a shortcut around um, really a ton of personal work
1: and we will be talking about all the ways that that is a shortcut, five ways in particular Mm -hmm. over several episodes. But in Mm -hmm. this one, we're talking specifically about being an expert Mm -hmm. in your partner. Mm -hmm. And I got this phrase from you in a podcast that we did uh, months and months ago. I think it was called A Passion for Growth. Mm -hmm. And you used this phrase that you wanted to become an expert in your husband Mm -hmm. and that you want to help your clients. So unpack what it means for a person to be an expert in their partner.
2: Yeah, somebody can read a ton of marriage books and kind of learn. We can really assemble some ideas of what it means to be an ideal partner, an ideal parent, an ideal boss or employee. But when it comes to your your marriage or your intimate couple partner relationship, you're just with this one other person. And so you don't have to be everybody's ideal idea of a partner. You're just trying to meet the one specific individual person that you have been given and that you have chosen. Um, You're trying to meet them where they are, where they are at. And so their needs might be pretty different from the general male or female population. So you don't need to know what every single person out there needs in a spouse. You need to know what one person needs.
1: Which sounds so intuitive that I don't need to love everybody, I just need to love this person. But you're referring to uh, loving and caring in a very particular way for that particular person.
2: Yes, yes. Knowing how they're wired, knowing, gosh, yes, what their emotional needs are, how their mind works, what their expectations are of, of how the day should go. And I'm not talking about like... People-pleasing are perfectly performing. That is not at all what I am talking about. Just really opening yourself to to just deeply understand the person that you have chosen to couple up with for, for a lifetime.
1: So you mentioned four things there really quickly, how they're wired, what their emotional needs are, mm-hmm. how their mind works, and even what their expectations are mm-hmm. for a day. Take a mm-hmm. couple of those and unpack what that looks like to be an expert, for example, in how you Husband, wife, partner is wired.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, as simple of a category as introvert, extrovert. If you are married to an introverted person and you are introducing an overwhelming number of extroverted activities, you're going to probably get a much lower functioning, more stressed out version of your spouse. Whereas if you say, okay, I see how this dude's wired. He can't handle dinners out with people or lots of people over to the house. What's kind of our optimal number? Because we, you know, you're not going to go 100% his way. You're not going to go 100% your way. Um,
1: So an extrovert might be willing to have company seven nights a week and an mm -hmm. introvert that would just fry them. Mm -hmm. And by the way, fun little introversion, extroversion fact Most people probably know that those categories are not about whether you're outgoing or not, but they're about how you're energized, right? Mm -hmm. That you're energized by being around people Mm -hmm. or not. And here's the trivia. Many people will be familiar with the name Timothy Leary, the uh, former Harvard psychologist who is probably best known for doing LSD trips and things like that. So (laughs) Timothy Leary in the 1950s, I believe, is the one who invented the categories of extroversion and introversion.
2: Wow, I have just learned. Thank you for being so do, instructional. Do, 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 Thank do, you for do, teaching do. me. That. Well, but what's cool about that is, so you, we, don't, we can't really do anything to change that. We're born with that. Hardwired, trait. so to That's speak. That's hardwired. And so people who push other people to change that about themselves, um, they're just creating barriers in their relationship rather than saying, all right, I can learn what is, I can accept what is, I can work with what is. Those are much more laid back, happy partners.
1: As opposed to expecting, demanding, requiring Mm -hmm. the other person to be like us and to be energized. So let's move on to emotional Mm -hmm. needs. Mm -hmm. We're kind of touching on that, but Mm -hmm. what is an expert in your partner's emotional needs?
2: Well, you have to really observe them. And if you are married to a really emotionally loquacious person who likes to talk about their emotions and name them and explore them, I've worked with some partners who, um, who feel like they're a mismatch emotionally, um, that the, let's just, let's, let's go, um, counter gender stereotypes. Let's say we have a husband who really likes to talk about his emotions and unpack those emotions in detail. And a wife that says, I'm kind of wanting him to just get to the point, give me some bullet points and move this quickly. Um, So that wife, um, I have to help work with her to slow down her expectations and to make space and really learn how to meet him where he is at. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of frustration and a lot of disconnect. And what she's thinking is efficiency in kind of like trying to push past a lot of emotional, you know, information It actually ends up being the most, as you know, inefficient way of going about it because the bill, the meter is running on those stuffed emotions of that husband trying to just kind of be low maintenance for her.
1: And that is so helpful uh, to think about those emotional capacities. What about an expert in how your spouse's mind works? You talked about that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you're not talking about IQ, but just how people process and kind of how we see the world.
2: Mm hmm. That does really take a lot of study to really pay attention to and see how your spouse processes things. And I would say I really like the categories of internal versus external processor, that external processors, they don't know exactly where their destination is, but they verbalize the whole journey and then they arrive at their destination. Whereas internal processors, which can go along more with um, introversion, does not always, but um, can, that person really needs some time to take a step away and really digest um all the the thoughts that they are having and um and then come back later on with having arrived at the at the destination of of having thought something through and then share with you their opinions about something, their thinking on something. Whereas if you force an internal processor To externally process with you, I, my metaphor for that is it's like pulling a cake out of the oven half baked, it is just it's goo, and you're wanting to cut into it and kind of and see what they're thinking. But it's not fully formed yet. And so that is, again, hardwiring, and it must, it really must be respected, or it causes more problems, puts more, more Um, blocks and barriers up between people.
1: So that's, uh, broadly speaking, the category of how we process internally Mm -hmm. or externally. Mm -hmm. It also brings to my mind uh, the sense of how people handle conflict and that Mm -hmm. that's a cognitive issue, as well as, as we've talked about on other programs, a neurobiological issue Mm -hmm. where we can get triggered. But mind works in terms of, or how a mind works, even in terms of negatively interpreting Um, And being able to hear something where a spouse says, will you please take out the garbage? And the other person hears, Mm -hmm. I'm a terrible Mm -hmm. person. Mm
2: -hmm. You're a failure (laughs) that you didn't anticipate that garbage.
1: And to know that, that that's a bent that a Mm -hmm. person has intellectually can be helpful. What are some other things?
2: Other areas of being an expert? I mean, you can watch how they do relationships. You can watch how they, um, you know, how they've been impacted by their family of origin. You're just really trying to get a really full picture of who this person is.
1: And one of the categories, I think this was the final of the four that I uh, repeated back is an expert in what a person's expectations are Mm. uh, for what a day looks like.
2: Yeah. And again, I mean, so me coming, I have some codependency in my history as of, you know, like an hour ago, probably I last practiced codependency. Um, I really don't want this to come across as me saying, let's let's study this spouse so that we can, you know, please their egos. So um, that said that disclaimer given knowing their expectations for the day can just help you meet them more where they are at. And yes, I'm wanting them to know your expectations as well. And that really does make a person feel so much more seen and understood. And when a person feels seen and understood, That's a much more calm person that you're interacting with.
1: And much more willing to negotiate and to compromise Mm -hmm. and be willing to surrender to the other person's agenda if they feel safe and valued and seen. Well, things about expectations, even as simple as uh, are they a morning person or an evening person? Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. it's, I've seen people that have been married for many years and never really learned that the other person was an evening person because they always had to get up early for work and they never actually talked about that, about mm-hmm. how they like to stay up late, you know, sitting in a chair by themselves, sipping tea and reading a book. Mm-hmm. But that that was never anything that by virtue of being in graduate school or having kids or whatever could happen. Mm-hmm. And conversations about these preferences, expectations, etc., oftentimes don't happen.
2: Yeah. Isn't that weird? It's just, I think it's such a strange function of being human that we don't have some of these really basic, obvious conversations with the person that we spend so much of our, of our lives with. And so I love When I get somebody in therapy and I've got this little wonderful voluntary captive audience to just have them really do an audit and a walkthrough of where you guys missing each other, where are you not accepting, just how this other person's wired, because that's not even getting into the category of behaviors. It's just I'm just talking about wiring and some real basic ways that we can feel known, seen, understood.
1: Whether uh, listeners have children or not, or whether they're even in an intimate relationship or marriage, it's so easy to kind of be an expert in the other person's schedule,
0: or Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. what their
1: hobbies are, or what their goal is in relation to work, and those things matter. But um, when kids come along, and lots of other busyness and responsibilities in life, it's really easy to have a default where you know about the person and about the rhythm of their life, but not actually knowing the person. And this takes, this takes. Uh, it's hard work. I mean, it's a cliche, but these kinds of committed relationships uh, are really, really, really hard work.
2: Yeah, there's just a lot of maintenance that goes on. And I think that it's just a really common default human assumption That they should just kind of be able to go on autopilot and a relationship will never, ever thrive or improve on on autopilot. They're either getting stronger or weaker. What's your opinion on that one? I think
1: it's true. Um, I had a mentor years ago that uh, he said that that every life, every human life is moving toward God or away from God, and Mm. and our less uh, religious or or Christian listeners might be thinking in terms of that we're moving toward goodness and beauty or Mm -hmm. away from goodness Mm -hmm. and beauty, and I Mm -hmm. I think that's true. I also, as you were talking, I thought of Malcolm Gladwell's book where he talks about 10,000 hours Mm that are needed, and let's see, that wasn't blink, it wasn't tipping point, it was... That Malcolm Gladwell Mm -hmm. book, you know, the really good one that we Mm -hmm. can't remember the name Mm -hmm. of. It was right between David and Goliath and Blink. But in that book, he talks about how it takes a person 10,000 hours to become an expert Mm -hmm. in something. Mm -hmm. And I've been married 28 years, and I think that's more than 10,000 hours, Mm -hmm. but I've not spent 10,000 hours intentionally trying to become an expert in knowing Julianne. So I'm just thinking, wow. Wow. How many more hours do I have left and struck by the energy and intentionality that it really takes to be able to honor the other person and love them in a particular way.
2: Okay, I have something super encouraging about that. I really don't think that I don't think we even have to think about it in terms of hours, but one intentional moment where... You are just making really great eye contact and you're just very, very present and you're just showing your, you're just being really, really present with your, with your person and you ask them one question, how are you? And it's like the real how are you, not the no, cursory how are you. It can't be that easy. It's so easy, Michael. You should just try
1: it. So my whole 10,000-hour brilliant metaphor from Malcolm Gladwell, and we didn't remember the name of the book, you just deflated it, which is really wonderful. That is hopeful. That just a question, like mm-hmm. the real, ugh, how are you, mm-hmm. and eye contact, Delicious. That, that can create so a, a, a significant connection. and. Mm-hmm have the other person really feel known.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you do ask those questions through the days, weeks, months, and years, you'd get your 10,000 hours really fast. So we're probably fairly close on our spouses, but we'd have to ask them for our grades on how well they are feeling loved and known by their marriage expert spouses. (laughs) So we
1: can't, we can't say, yes, I'm doing a great job. It really Uh has to be to ask them.
2: Yes. You cannot grade yourself. Your spouse gives you your grade of how, how much expertise they feel like you have about them.
1: And that's probably not just a black and white conversation, but a conversation about the grade.
2: Yes, which is so fun. When people have run out of things to talk about at dinner, I, we've just, we're really loading you guys up.
1: So what happens when couples move into the space of becoming an expert in their spouse? What have you seen in the counseling office or in your own life?
2: They don't have as many boring and repetitive fights. So you know those fights or disagreements, not all couples fight. Sometimes for minneagram language, you have a couple with drawing types who are married to each other and they just get quiet and go to separate parts of the house. But even with those couples, you don't trip over some of the same old topics and triggers. So I would say expertise in the other person really helps you sidestep landmines.
1: That sounds like a big one. And I think we're going to cover that in the subsequent episodes of Mm -hmm. five ways that the Enneagram can strengthen your marriage or intimate relationship. It also seems like it would build goodwill.
2: Yeah. So back to something you were saying earlier about when you, when someone feels like they're being seen and they are known and they're feeling understood it is so much easier to you're flexible, you're generous. You really, it's, it's easier to give the benefit of the doubt. Um, I talk a lot about marriages. Um, they get, there's an, you build an economy in your marriage. And so you, you're either building an economy of scorekeeping, of pointing out each other's flaws of trying to one up. And that's a pretty, I mean, that just, it does not feel good, but, um, it's, really, it's really normal and common, um, and it takes one, usually both people, to turn that economy around into an economy of generosity, of kindness compliments.
1: I love that, the economy idea, because mm-hmm. the first thing my mind goes to is transaction. Mm-hmm. You know, So I bring my credit card, I write a check, I mm-hmm. pay cash, and I get something in exchange for that, mm-hmm. and how, of course, there's some level of transaction in relationships, but how love itself and the idea of just being known for who we are, that that's not really transactional. So the idea of Mm -hmm. economy, that that would be a great question. If our marriage were an economy, Mm -hmm. what kind of economy would it be? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, and I mean, just since I've been married almost 16 years now, every marriage is going to go through those seasons. And so I'm always going to be the... I'm always going to be proclaiming just how much it's possible to turn things around when you've gotten into just too many negative patterns. Because once you wake up and say, oh, my gosh, we've gotten in such a negative economy here of, wait, you just took a break. And now it's my turn to take a break. And um, I've had these kids and I did the last four pickups and um, and those kinds of things. Once you've woken up to the fact that you have gotten pretty negative, that is the moment that you can begin to change it. So...
1: That's a positive way of saying it. I like that. Mm -hmm. So speaking of negative, what prevents a person from being an expert in their spouse? We just have a couple of minutes.
2: Well, um, our egos prevent it because um, our egos want to be defensive and they want to um, just really kind of hover around the way that we think that we deserve to be treated, um, that we are right, or I might have some idealized idea of how my relationship's supposed to be and I'm not accepting my partner for who they are. So I'm going to say ego and defensiveness really get in the way.
1: And one that comes to mind just personally is I have lived so much of my marriage out of a scarcity mentality, Mm, you know, that there's only so much inside of me that if I give it away, there won't be anything left Mm -hmm. and uh, that I have to have something. From Julianne.
2: Mm. Hey, let's wrap
1: up with this. Um, this has been a great conversation. This is part one of five episodes on the Enneagram in Marriage. But you put together a list of ten questions, and this could be one thousand questions. Mm-hmm. We just jotted these down in the last day or so. Uh ten questions that couples can ask mm-hmm. to one another to be an expert in their partner.
2: Yes. Okay. So here are some of your date night questions. Question number one, what does your partner wake up dwelling on? Question number two, how do they experience their emotions? Do they experience them more free flowing or are they more, are they more repressed or intimidated by their emotions? Um, Question three, which of society's ills bothers your partner the most? Question four, what is their biggest unmet need or top three unmet needs? Question five. What would be their best day ever? Six. Under stress. Do they cling, withdraw, fight, and why? That's what you can take a few years to answer that one. <laughs> um, next question. What do you do that hurts them the most? Um, I think I'm on eight. Eight. What are your partner's three biggest dreams and what holds them back from pursuing those dreams? Question nine. What? Oh, and the wording here is very intentional. What scares the hell out of your partner?
1: Ah, Great question.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Michael came up with that question. Question number 10. What is the most effective way to soothe your partner?
1: So, wow. Thank you for reading those. Those are just random questions that as we were thinking about doing this episode, we put together. You could come up with your own, but I would encourage you to take one or two or three at most of these questions and to say, can we sit down and talk about this? I want to become an expert in you. And regardless of whether they want to become an expert in you, this Mm -hmm. can open up some brand new pathways for intimacy and connectedness Mm -hmm. in your marriage or intimate relationship. Mm -hmm. So Kelly Gray, thank you for being on the program today. We're going to do four more episodes and we're going to be talking about the five ways that the Enneagram strengthens marriages and intimate relationships.
0: So thanks and look forward to next time.
2: Yes. Love it. Thanks.
0: So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com.
1: You already know we live in a pornified world, but most of us are at a loss for how to navigate this sea of temptation. It's either ceaseless striving on the one hand or giving in to brokenness on the other. But doesn't the gospel offer us another way? The truth is that our sexual struggles are not actually about sex, but about a misdirected, God-given longing for deep connection. Dig deeper in my book, Surfing for God, Discovering the Divine Desire Beneath Sexual Struggle.